Amen. Thanks, guys. Well, tonight I am dealing with that passage that the moment I announce it, I know people are going to go, wow. I'm glad I'm not preaching tonight, Pastor. And that's from 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to deal with how to get God's blessings, how to pursue God's blessings upon your marriage, how to get the fullness of God's blessings. But we're going to deal with that controversial topic of submission tonight. And right away, as soon as I say submission, some folks just start shutting down on me, and I want you to listen. And right away, some husbands go, you need to listen to this. You don't want to do that. That's, Did you already do that, Mike? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not the way to have a pleasant evening, Mike. <laughs> so I just want us to open up and listen to what the Word of the Lord says tonight. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, and it's not in your outline, but just, I think it's important to recognize, marriage should be honored by everyone. Marriage should be honored by everyone. That means our culture should honor the biblical definition of marriage, but it should especially be honored by people in the church. Marriage is God's way of connecting or bringing unity between a man and a woman in a biblical marriage. Marriage is the way that God not only brings children into our world, but it's how God chooses to protect children in our world. And we often talk about procreation, but in the culture that we're living in today, we need to also talk about the protection of our children because the violence against children has just become staggering in the United States. Marriage perfects our character. When I'm counseling with couples before they get married, I look at them and I say, I want you to look at the person you're marrying today that you want to marry. I says, our goal now is to get you beyond personality, that you like this person's personality, you like this man's personality, you like this girl's personality. My goal is to get you beyond the fact that he's handsome or that she's pretty. And I know those are important things. But you see, when you marry, you don't marry a personality and you don't marry beauty, you marry character. And you've got to live with character the rest of your life because the Bible tells us that marriage is permanent. But marriage also builds not only healthy churches, healthy societies, a healthy nation, and that's what just troubles me so much and breaks my heart about the redefining of marriage that's taking place in our society and in our community today. And I shouldn't say necessarily in our community, but in our culture. And I know there are people in our community that would like to change that as well. But marriage is... According to Ephesians chapter 5, marriage reveals something that had never, ever, ever been revealed before until after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Marriage is the unveiling. It's the unfolding. Ephesians 5 describes it as a mystery. It's the unveiling of the relationship between Christ and His church. So in a very real way, Rick and Norma are demonstrating what the relationship is like between Jesus and the church. Bob, you and Carrie are demonstrating what the relationship of Jesus is like with his church. Every other couple in here in marriage, that's exactly what we do. Now tonight, the text that we're going to look at, because it can be controversial, and there are a lot of women that will just shut down because of things that have happened to them in their past. I hope none of you are in that number, but if you are, I hope you'll listen to the Word deeply, and, and hopefully that with the help of the Holy Spirit, I can preach and teach on this in the way it needs to be understood. But the text we need to look at in light of First Peter Chapter 1 and verse 15, I talked at length about holiness, and that's what Paul, Peter's concern was in writing to this church. He said, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Now, what I want you to understand is when we talk about holiness, it's not something negative. Holiness is positive. Look at your neighbor and say, holiness is positive. Holiness is positive. When I married Becky, she became holy to me. I became holy to her. It means we had set apart for one another. I have my daddy's wedding ring on in front of my, my own wedding ring on my hand tonight. 
And I look back upon my mom and dad's marriage, and I'm thankful for a godly home. I'm thankful for a godly marriage, and I'm thankful for the fact that my dad was always faithful to my mother, and my mother was faithful to my dad. And that gave our family and my siblings such security growing up. And I have a big, tall model to live up to with my father. And so I, I wear his wedding ring along beside my wedding ring just to remind myself of the lineage and the heritage that I have. They were wholly one another's. They belonged wholly to each other. It's interesting that when tombstones are often purchased or grave markers are purchased, I don't guess we use that word tombstone much anymore, but when grave markers are purchased, you'll see loving families when the surviving spouse will go ahead and pre-purchase their headstone along with their spouse that is deceased I do so many funerals like that and go back with family sometimes for the installation of the headstone. And the surviving spouse will have their name and their birth date without a death date there yet. But because they are saying, I still belong to this person. I belong to them forever. Holiness is something beautiful and it's positive and it's demonstrated in the fruit of the Spirit and love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and long-suffering, self-control. All of those wonderful things is what holiness is. Holiness is the very beauty of God. And when you are living a holy life, you're not someone that goes around, you know, with your nose stuck up in the air that you would drown if there was a rainstorm, but you're someone that walks in humility and love and there's, there's a beauty and something powerful and positive about your life. So holiness, according to what Peter is writing here in this chapter, it releases great influence not only in your life, but it releases great influence in your marriage as well. When you live a holy life, you're living an influential life. When you live a life for Christ, when you live a life that glorifies Him and you magnify Him and you live like Jesus lives, then suddenly your life becomes very, very influential. The problem, before I read the text, the problem that so many women have with this text is a fundamental problem that we need to acknowledge and we need to recognize and confess because if we don't, we never really get the full blessing of what this text is. And that is that men have used texts like this and several other passages in the New Testament to demand obedience from their wives, to demand that their wives submit to them and to get their way. And oftentimes, a woman will not hear a message on abuse, and I'm talking about, uh, I mean, on, on submission. I'm talking about people that I talk with day in and day out, people that don't even go to our church, who will ask me these questions. Sometimes who've asked Becky these questions. Becky was asked not too long ago about what she thought about submission. Was she submitted to me? We had this conversation about this passage around our dinner table last night. Because we wanted, I wanted my daughter to hear our conversation. I, I want my sons to know. We, I've taught them this all their life. And that is, until we confess the abuse that women have experienced, oftentimes from the church and from so-called Christian men, they can't hear what Peter, what God wants them to hear in this passage. So having said that, I also want to say this. I know many, I'm not just using that word lightly, I know many women who would stand up here and talk to you about the blessings of being submitted to a godly, loving husband. But what Peter is going to write about here is also women who are married to unbelieving husbands as well. So if you would, out of respect for the word of the Lord, stand with me tonight. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now what he's doing there is not dissing clothing and jewelry, but what he's saying there is in that society, women were known, people were known, not just women, but men were known by the kind of clothes they wore, the kind of jewelry they wore. It indicated who you were. Slaves wore a certain type of clothes. Merchants wore a certain type of clothes. Politicians wore. And so 
He's saying, don't try to be uppity is what he's saying here, but let your adorning come within. And this was being written not only to every class of person in the church, because the best we've been able to determine the church that Peter was writing to in Asia Minor, it had every class of people that was there. So it's very important that we understand that. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, as speaking of physically, that's not speaking about morality or mentally or intellect, but of weaker physically, since they are heirs of, with you of grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. And then one more passage just to kind of nail it down about this holiness. Paul wrote to young Pastor Timothy, he says, keep yourself pure. Well, Father, I ask you tonight in the name of Jesus as we work through this, this beautiful text. It's not a difficult text when it's heard in light of the gospel. But Lord, for those who don't know the gospel or for those that have been abused by this text, by controlling people, God, we do pray for forgiveness, for ever tolerating that. We do pray, Lord, that you will give us insight so that when we minister, everyone here, when we minister to our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, and we talk about the marriage relationship, we can talk about it with the joy and the grace that you meant it to be. For it's in your holy name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Well, I think where we have to begin tonight when we talk about submission, and this is, this is probably the most important point I'm going to make in the whole message, you can, you can only understand submission in the light of the life of Jesus Christ. You won't understand biblical submission, go ahead and put that up for me, until you understand submission in light of the life of Jesus and how he lived and the way he lived his life. There's a story told, I don't think it's true, but the story told, I've heard it so many times, and I may have told this story here before, and if I have, you'll pardon me and forgive me, and I'm going to tell it again because it just illustrates what I want to get across. This couple went to a marriage seminar, and for the whole day, the wives were, the wives were just roasted and talked about how they should be submitted to their husbands, they should serve their husbands, and how they should, they should do everything their husbands wanted them to do. And when they got home that night, the, walked in the door, the husband looked up at the wife, and he was kind of a Casper milk toast, if you know what I'm talking about, and he says, honey... From now on, this is way we're going to live our lives. You're going to be submitted to me. And he hauled off and smacked her right across the face. As a result, he didn't see his wife for about three days. And then his eyes slowly began to open up. You'll get that when you think about it. His eyes slowly began to open because he said what so many people have thought about the idea of submission in marriage. There was a lady who came into my office quite a number of years ago now, maybe 18 years ago now. Gosh, it's hard to believe that we've been here 21 years, but 18 years ago, sitting in front of my desk, and she pounded the desk because she did not like, she doesn't go to church here, but did not like what the Bible says about submission. So I just kind of looked at her and I said, I want you to imagine with me I want you to imagine for just a moment that you are married to the most loving, adoring man in the whole wide world. His one goal in life is to please you. His one goal in life is to protect you. His one goal in life is to provide for you. His one goal in life is to understand you and live with you in a sensitive and caring way. I want you to imagine that this man takes into consideration every need and every thought of yours. And when you're in public, he honors you. And when you talk, he listens to you. And I want you to imagine that when you go out to dinner, he is always paying close attention to you. He's listening. He's responsible. He's not argumentative. And you have no doubt that this man would give his life for you. Would you follow a man like that? 
And she goes, absolutely, if they still make them like that. And the fact is, that's who Jesus is. That's the way Jesus lives his life. That's the way Jesus ministered upon this earth, loving and caring and dying for us. You see, when I find people understand the roles of marriage, submission is not the issue. It's when we don't understand those issues. Again, let's look back at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. Now that word submit is different than the word Peter used talking about slaves submitting to their masters. We've got a different word here. This word is a word of honor and respect. It does mean submit. I, wouldn't be, I would be doing wrong if I told you it didn't mean submit, but it's not a slavish submitting to the husband. This is more of someone of an affectionate term of submitting to the husband. So, submitting. And as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What's he saying here? He says, your heart is being revealed, ladies, in a Christian marriage or in a marriage to an unbelieving person, uh, husband, your heart is being revealed. It's what he's saying here. This adorning, this, this adorning themselves by submitting to, not fearing, the heart of a woman is being revealed. And sir, when you make a decision, you can see the heart of your wife in her face. You can see the heart of your children in their faces. You can see the kind of leadership you're providing when you make decisions because they know that you're absolutely bananas about them. You want to honor them. You want to listen to them. You'll, you'll listen, but you're still going to lead. You're going to respect them. When that type of listening takes place, is something totally different. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 2, this is what the Scripture says, that each of us needs to look after the good of the people around us. And in a marriage, I, I am responsible to look after the good of my wife and my children. As a son, responsible to look after the good of my mother and Becky's mother. As, as a pastor, to look after the good of this congregation. Amen. Well, I got one amen there when I talked about taking care of you. How can I help is what we're supposed to ask. We, we ask ourselves, how can I help? Well, he goes on to write, that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but he waited <coughs> right in and helped out. Read this with me. I took on the troubles of the troubled. Read it with me. I took on the troubles of the troubled is the way the Scriptures put it. I took on the troubles of the troubled. Submit to one another. Now take this, in, take this in context of what we just read. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now look at me for just a second. Submission is not subjugation. Say that out loud with me. Submission is not subjugation. Submission is a quality Subjugation takes a human being and turns them into a thing. When a man wants his wife and his children subjugated to him, then what he's doing is he's reducing and taking away their personhood. He's destroying their individuality. He's taking away their liberty. And boy, if I had time tonight, I would talk about this in raising children and how important it is that we teach our children how to submit, but not to be subjugated, not to lord our authority over them. Paul says, don't exasperate your children by robbing them of their identity, helping them to grow and discover who they are. When God tells us to submit to Him, what God is doing is He's going to bring out the best of His creative order in us. God's desire is to bring out the very best of who you and I are, but God's desire is also to bring out the very best of who we are as couples in our marriage. So for Jeff and Michelle, God wants to bring out the very best in your marriage. For Becky and Dennis, God wants to bring out the very best of who we are, and it begins with this idea of submission. 
When we're submitted, it not only brings out our individuality, but it brings out, now listen, it brings out our potential to fulfill the call of God upon our lives. And every one of us have a call. That's the reason that it's important in this context to understand we're to be submitted to one another. There are several pastors that I mentor and just recently, I was walking one through one of them on this idea as a young pastor on leadership and, and how you gain and how you earn respect and how that you cannot demand submission, but you earn that through the life that you live. You see, submission is strength. Subjection is weakness. When somebody is subjected, they're tyrannized and they're, they're made to become weaker but when somebody is submitted, they become stronger. Do you remember that wonderful movie? It's, I don't know how old it is now, but My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Does anybody remember that? Do you remember what the wife told the daughter? Says, you know, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck that turns the head. That's the reason that Peter is using, that's really a biblical principle. Peter is using the example of Sarah here. Well, let's continue with it. For the husband, a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church, and as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. You think that says to your daughter she really needs to be careful about who she's dating? Do you think that says to a husband and wife or a young couple, you really need to know that the person that you're dating loves God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind? This is why I tell our students and teach our students, and be sure that the person that you're dating, you never know when you're going to grow to love someone. You don't fall in love, you fall in a ditch. But when you're dating, that potential and that possibility to grow to love someone, whether they're a believer or not a believer, can happen in a life and all of a sudden your judgment can get clouded so it's important that we understand that submit to your husbands in everything for husbands this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church he gave up his life for her now guys look at me for just a second before I move on with this it's this very interesting because Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible are we told to demand submission from our wives. Nowhere in the Bible am I told to demand submission from Becky or even to demand submission from my children. Nowhere in the Bible am I told to demand submission from the people that God has placed me over as a pastor. That's what the Word says. But the Word tells Becky she should submit to me. The Bible tells my children they should submit to their parents so that it might go well with them. The Scripture tells us we should submit ourselves to our leaders. But submission has to be a voluntary, given thing in respect and in love that is earned. Is that, does that follow? That's how submission comes about. You may enter into a marriage with that understanding, but you have to grow in that relationship. And so when I read this passage, the wife is never told to love the husband, but the husband is told to love the wife the way Christ loves the church. And I challenge you to go through that. You will see the quality of submission that brings out the strength, that brings out the individuality, not subjection, but you'll see where us modeling the role of Christ in our marriages and our families, we're told to love and to nurture our wives and our children. Now, guys, that's a deep, heavy thing that I don't have time to get into tonight. But this is what, te- this is what I take away from that. Love is at the heart of submission. Love is at the very heart of submission, and you won't ever find yourself submitting until you learn to love. Again, I said you've got to understand this in light of Jesus' life. Jesus submitted to the Father because of His deep love for Him. Jesus loved the Father. And although the mystery of the Godhead is great, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are one. And yet, when God became man... Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. One time even praying, not my will. He struggled with the will of the Father. But let me also tell you, because He loved the Father, He submitted to Him. And because He loved you, 
and he loved me, he submitted to the cross. And that's where Paul is going, and that's where Peter is going when they're talking about submission. Friends, to submit is not to be inferior. To submit is not to be weak. Subjugation will bring out inferiority. Subjugation will bring out weakness. I want my wife to feel like she is worth a trillion bucks. I want her to know how highly valued she is. I want my children to feel highly valued and grow up with a strong sense of self-esteem and confidence. Not vanity, not pride, but a strong sense of self-confidence. But that comes from a heart of love that you try to bring out the best out of those that God has given to you. Now let me illustrate this because if submission is not inferiority, then how is that modeled in the life of Jesus? Because Jesus emptied himself becoming a servant, but he still remained equal with God. Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, he emptied, we call it the kenosis theory in theology. How that he emptied himself of those divine attributes, he took upon himself the form of a servant. Remember how he wrapped himself about with a towel and he washed the feet of the disciples because none of the disciples were willing to serve one another. Jesus took upon himself the form of the servant. Jesus was crucified for our sins. As a matter of fact, Isaiah prophesies about him and calls him, if you know it, say it with me, the suffering servant. The suffering servant. And yet, in emptying himself and humbling himself and submitting to the Father, he didn't in any wise lose his divinity. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even, read it with me, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. Isn't that powerful? That's what you understand submission when you look at the life of Jesus. To submit is simply a matter of love. Look at me for just a second. Let me put it like this. A wife submits to her husband because she is submitted to God. And because she is obeying the Lord, she then experiences his blessings. Now, I will get down to abusive husbands in a minute because I know some of you women have suffered abuse. And I know on Sunday mornings when I preached on this, I've had some great conversations and email exchanges with women in our congregation. So let me begin by trying to get at that. Submission is not unconditional obedience. Submission is not unconditional obedience. No human being deserves yours or my unconditional obedience. No president deserves unconditional obedience. No boss deserves unconditional obedience. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So when a husband would ask his wife to do something that was against the laws of God or immoral or sinful, the wife submits to the Lord and to his word and says, no, I will not do that. There may be consequences that are suffered. But consequences were suffered by the church for saying yes to God and no to the ungodly request of men. That can happen to any of us. That's the reason that when Peter's talking about this, he says, do good and don't fear anything. That word fear is phobia. Don't have a phobia. Don't fear anything. Does anybody have any phobias? You know, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you are grinning you know, maybe you have a phobia about spiders crawling on you. You have a phobia about snakes. Maybe you have a phobia about smells. I was talking to Dave Delp this week, and I was saying, Dave, we've been friends for a long time. And I said, Dave, how are you going to handle the odors in the parts of Africa you're going to be minute? He goes, please pray for me. He says, I don't know. He said, I just know God has called us there. And I started laughing because 
I had to start telling him about some of the odors I experienced in different places of Africa. Well, remember I said that, that uh, Donna and I could get in trouble? She started from her time of working there for the State Department. She started telling about smells. I started, we saw day visibly beginning to turn just a little bit of light shade of green. You see, these phobias, sometimes people have a phobia of what's going to happen if I serve God. Fear nothing if you're doing the will of God. God will always be there for you. So sometimes I have had to deal with situations as a pastor. And when you've been a pastor as long as I have, you've dealt with a lot of experiences. And, and, you know, I don't often talk about this, but I was a single youth pastor before I married Becky, and I traveled before I married Becky. I've heard so many things over 50 years of ministry. So many things. And I would share with you tonight this, that any time that a man has asked his wife to do something illegal or abused his wife, my counsel has always been have him arrested. Call the law. And there are women in this community, and my wife will tell you, where I have shown up at their house with another man from our church when they've experienced physical abuse or the threat. You do not help someone when you empower them to do evil. You are not being kind when you empower them to do evil. You are not submitted when you empower somebody to do something evil. And you don't take that individual back until they have rebuilt trust and demonstrated by the fruit of the Holy Spirit that they are living godly lives. Do you follow what I'm saying? That's important. A woman is not inferior or superior to a man in marriage. You can go, well, Pastor, I know that. But do you know how many women don't know that? And do you know how many women mistakenly from a feminist background think that the Bible teaches? I've heard it on the news. I've heard it from feminist theologians. The Bible nowhere teaches that women are inferior to men. Look at this. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we were talking about this at the dinner table the other night, I kind of had an aha moment. And I said, Becky, do you realize do you realize that since the day of Pentecost, since the, when, when Jesus died and was resurrected for us, and the day of Pentecost, that in the body of Christ, there is no more court of Gentiles, there is no more court of the women, there is no more one man going in before the Ark of the Covenant. We all have access to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. And instead of the Holy Spirit coming down once a year in the Holy of Holies, He lives and dwells in our heart, male and female alike. And when that wonderful prophecy was made in joyful and fulfilled in the book of Acts, that upon your sons and your daughters I will pour out my Spirit, sir, there is no difference between a man or a woman as far as inferiority in Christ. There are physical differences, obviously, but we are equal in Christ. Somebody say amen tonight. And that's important to understand. I go back, and I know I've told you this before, but I go back to the night when Becky was a children's evangelist and we were dating, and uh, Nettie Parham had invited me to come to, to see Becky and to have dinner. She was staying with Nettie during this children's crusade she was doing. And we're sitting there, and Nettie wanted to meet some other pastors, wanted me to meet some other pastors, and she invited them. And it was like somebody had turned down the volume. I, I knew people were talking. I could hear the din in the background, but just as clear as a bell. And I'm not a mystical person, but just as clear as a bell, a light shone around Becky, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and says, This is my daughter. I didn't know if I wanted to date her anymore. Because how do you kiss God's little girl? <laughs> You know, and it was several weeks before I kissed her because I just had this moment when I realized that I've never forgotten not just my wife, but every woman is treasured. God doesn't have any granddaughters. God has daughters. Amen? I want to read to you tonight from, I've recommended this book time and time again, Boundaries by Carlton Townsend. Let me read to you tonight something that I think is very important, and it's not in the outline, so you just need to listen. I just thought about it a few minutes ago. Both of these guys are Christian psychologists. We have never seen a submission problem 
that did not have a controlling husband at its root. Now listen, we have never seen a submission problem that did not have a controlling husband at its root. When the wife begins to set clear boundaries, the lack of Christ-likeness in a controlling husband becomes evident because the wife is no longer enabling his immature behavior. She is confronting the truth and setting biblical limits on hurtful behavior. And often when the wife sets boundaries, the husband begins to grow up. That's a powerful passage. I wish I had printed it for you so it would be in your outline. When Becky is being Becky at her strongest, she's not a doormat, but she is helping me to mature and grow in Christ. And my prayer is that I've helped Becky to mature and grow in Christ as well. Does, does that make sense? So that's what we're getting at here. Guys, if you are focused on submission, I want you to listen. If you're focused on submission, according to what Townsend and Cloud are writing in this book, and I believe it especially because I've looked up so many scriptures on this over the year, your priorities are all messed up. I cannot tell you a time where I've ever had to focus <clears throat> on submission to Becky. And I'll tell you, Becky is a strong-willed woman. And I'm glad of that. I've told you before, I found out in a hurry, fear God and fear Becky. She throws a mean knife. She has a strong will, and I need that kind of woman in my life. Becky, my mother told me one time, she says, I am so worried that you're marrying peaches and cream, and you will destroy a peaches and cream woman. I said, Mama, trust me, she is not peaches and cream. Becky worked for a Jewish company in Columbus, Georgia, the Heck Company. And Miss Heck came out one day and said, looked at Becky and says, I told them not to hire peaches and cream. And it wasn't long before Becky had even gained Mrs. Heck's respect <clears throat> because she wasn't peaches and cream. But I'll tell you one thing she's not. She's not disrespectful. She's not rude. She's not classless. She is a godly, beautiful, dignified woman. And I give her all the praise and honor tonight for being that kind of woman. And I hold her up as a model to women all the time. She is a great woman. I get to go home with you tonight, don't I? <laughs> Number two, and this will go much quicker than we've dealt with the submission part. A husband and wife empower one another by being full of the Holy Spirit. If submission is to bring out the best in us, that it's important that we heed what the Scripture says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love sailing. I went with you one time, Alan, and, you know, thankfully we had a little outboard motor on that, that thing to get out with. And but we got out there on the lake, and, and we were able to see those sails on his boat fill up and flutter. I, I have another friend down in Georgia that loves to take me sailing, and there's nothing like seeing the sails on the ship fill up, and you're just being taken right across the waves. And we've all seen pictures of the great clipper ships and how they would catch the wind and they'd sail across the waves. I want you tonight to imagine, because the word pneuma, it's the wind, it's the breath. You have pneumonia, which is sickness of the breath. You have pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, taking from that word pneuma. You have pneumatic for machines that are operated by air. Here's what I want you to get. Imagine your life being full of the Holy Spirit, and you're being propelled along, not by your own energy, because there's something about all of us that don't want to submit to one another at times. We want to be submitted to. We want somebody else to serve us, but if we're going to serve the way God calls us to, then we have to be full of the Holy Spirit, which means there are certain spiritual habits that we need to practice. And the Apostle Paul said those habits were teaching one another, singing, giving thanks, and does anybody know what the last one is? Teaching one another, singing, and giving thanks, and submitting to one another. So there are four spiritual habits of discipline of learning how to submit to one another. So let's look at verse 4 and 5 again. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by, read it with me, submitting to their own husbands. Not subjugated, but submitting 
A young woman came to see her pastor one time and says, I need you to pray with me. I'm really struggling with pride. And he goes, really? She said, yes. She says, Pastor, when I look around this church, she says, I imagine myself to be the prettiest woman in the whole congregation. And he looked at her and says, oh, that's not pride. That's just delusion. (laughs) That's just delusion. You know, and some people try to make themselves, they're so focused upon fashion and clothing and dress that they focus more on their hair, on their dress and their clothes, or in some cases their lack of clothes, in order to get attention, rather than focus upon that inward quality of gentleness and respect. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Becky is my best friend. She keeps me sharp. If I get dull, she tells me so. Sometimes you don't see it, but she will give me a, that means it's time to cut it short. (laughs) You know, you're getting dull. I look at her, she's like a coach. She's submitted, but yet she brings out the best. So what Peter does then is says this. He wants you ladies, if you're married to an unbelieving husband, focus on the fruit of submission. Focus on the fruit of submission. And unfortunately, I've had to have these conversations with a lot of women over the years. Number one, they married before they came to know Christ, and now they're living with a husband that has little regard for the things of God, doesn't want them to come to church, uh, doesn't want them to be in ministry. Uh, Sometimes they're hostile to it. I've had women who go to our church, their unbelieving husbands come to my office and tell me things why they didn't want. One man came in and sat down and began to tell me all the faults of his wife, and so I took him to the Bible, and I said, can I show you something? The Bible says that God doesn't see your wife and her faults. He sees her through the blood of Jesus. She's a new creature in Christ. And you know, so could you be because the very fact that you're showing up here, you're acting more like the devil than you are Jesus because the devil is the one that condemns the brothers and the sisters according to the scripture. He shut up and left in a big hurry. But there's quality that happens in this marriage when you live focused upon the fruit. Let's look at it again. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if they, some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives <clears throat> when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Circle this phrase, one without a word. One without a word. Ladies, you don't need to preach at your unbelieving husband. You don't need to mark books and lay them open conveniently highlighted by his chair. That will aggravate him. You don't need to nag about the gospel. It doesn't mean that you never talk about what God has done for you or the good things of the Lord, but you don't nag. Look at, they see your respectful and pure conduct. Men want ladies and wives that are pure and respectful. It's your influence that you're bringing that Peter says matters here. He says, remember, holiness gives us influence. So, real quickly, loving acts build trust. Loving acts build trust. But my words can tear down or build up. And this would be true for a woman or for a man in a marriage. Sometimes people remember words for an awful long time that were said in anger. And so it's important to be measured. But my actions reveal my heart. If I say the right things but do the wrong things, then I'm still showing what my heart is. Now, as I wrap this up tonight, and sweetheart, if you don't mind, come on up to the keyboard. Interestingly here, Peter doesn't give as much attention to the husband as he does to the wife. So, for the sake of the context of the message, I'm only going to give one point here, but it's a powerful point because Peter makes a powerful point. A husband's headship is for serving his wife and his family. A husband's headship is for serving his wife and his family. 
That's why God makes you, sir, the head of your home. Men, just the men, read this with me tonight. Go ahead and put the scripture up, please. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show an honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Biblical headship is not an excuse for me to get my way. Biblical headship is not an excuse for me to make the decision about the color of the car or where we're going to live or the budget. Biblical headship means I listen, but I still lead. I love, I respect, I honor. That's what biblical headship means. Just the fact that I'm a man doesn't bring me any entitlement in life whatsoever. And I've had to tell a few jerks that over the years. Well, the Bible says that a woman is to be submitted to the man. I said, well, you sound just like a jerk when you say it like that. We're submitted to Christ, but you don't ever see Christ doing that to us. You see, there have been so many times that Becky and I have had conversations and at some point a decision has to be made that maybe we don't agree upon. Isn't that right? And the only reason I overrule maybe what she thinks when we can't come to a reasonable conclusion is because I see something there that could be destructive to our family. Now listen, listen. That puts all of the responsibility for the decision upon me. That puts the consequences of that decision upon me. That puts the eternal reward or lack of reward for my family upon me. That is not a lighthearted statement that I just made to you. You must take that seriously when you talk about these issues of submission. Becky said last night, she says, I am concerned that at times, when you've talked about our struggle moving up here, how we weren't on the same page, that maybe people think I was pressuring you. Nothing could be further from the truth. I said no, put my foot down no, and you know, another pastor was elected, and then later left and after that time God spoke to my heart and that's when I was called to come and then I went to Becky and I said you know I feel like God has been playing with me toying with me I can show you the letters and emails because I was still traveling that we wrote to each other but no woman my wife included would want to be submitted to a man who thought that just because he was a man she was supposed to be submitted to him. That is an erroneous application of the scripture. We listen, we honor, we respect. But sometimes in a marriage, now listen, I'm, as an old country preacher in Forsyth, Georgia said to me one time, he said, I got some pastoring to do. In a marriage, it's unique. There's only two votes. There's only two votes. So if I exercise that headship, the thing I want Becky to know is that I'm doing my best to please her. I'm doing my best to honor her and to love her. I want my children to know that I love her. You see, loving like Christ means I have to learn to understand my wife. What makes her tick? What's going on in her heart? Loving like Christ means that I give honor and respect to her and her opinions. And I'm not too proud to change my mind if it's necessary. Loving like Christ means that Becky and I are co-heirs together in Christ. Remember, women are not inferior to men. We are co-heirs. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share His glory... We must share in his suffering. So loving like Christ means I need to pray daily for my wife and my family. 
I need to pray daily for my wife and my family. Not just bless Becky, but out of my devotions, I pray the scriptures that I read over Becky and our children. I pray them over you. I pray them over myself. So I've already filled in the growth work for you. There's no underlining there. So let me kind of wrap it up like this because there's rehearsal that's got to take place now. After 43 years of marriage, after all these years of being a pastor, number one, I think women, and when I get a chance, I'll be talking to our students about this subject. I really felt convicted about going back and talking to our kids about this. Women are looking for men who are understanding, caring, and sensitive. I'm having to define that because a lot of times we say the word love, we're talking about a quiver in our liver. Quiver in our liver right here. Is that right? Is it on this side? You don't know either, do you? So we're talking about a feeling. We're talking about a feeling. But love is caring, it's understanding. Love is sensitive. Love sacrifices. But I've also discovered this. Women want a man, not necessarily that is rich, educated, or particularly handsome. They want a man that is respectful and respectable. Get it? Respectful and respectable. A man that when they walk beside him, their head can be held high because of how he's lived his life. And that their children can look up to and emulate his behavior. That's the call of God upon us guys to be the kind of husbands that our wives can cheerfully submit to. In 43 years of marriage, Becky, I don't believe I've ever had to ask you or bring up submission. We've disagreed. But I don't believe I've ever had to do that and you don't have to do that either because if you're focused upon submission your priorities are in the wrong place when I've asked women what I asked that woman in my office right over here if he loved you if he respected you if he honored if the eyes who sang that old song I only have eyes for you whoever sang that song I only have eyes for you if he only had eyes for you would you submit to him Yes. One woman says blank yes to me one time talking to her about that. <laughs> you see, that's the kind of man God calls us to be. Would you stand with me tonight? I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word and the wisdom that it gives us. I thank you, Lord, that the Apostle Peter modeled these words. For he, Lord, was submitted to you and submitted to authorities until they told him not to speak any longer in the name of Jesus. So I pray you'll give us great wisdom and help us to think and, multi and, and meditate upon these things in Christ's name. Amen. I love you. If you got some questions, I'll be happy to send you to Pastor Mark and Pastor Rick to answer them tonight. But I'll stick around as long as you want. God bless you.